Well, good morning. It's good to see you all here today, and I'm glad that you were able to join us today for our service. If you would, repeat after me. I love my community because God loves my community. Okay. Now, I, I realize you guys are the ones that slept in a little bit, so you're probably still waking up a little bit. Look to the person on your right and say, get ready, we're going to do this again. And, uh, okay, look back at the person on the left and say, well, he was really talking to you. You really drug right there. You didn't do a great job. So, no, I'm kidding. You don't have to say that. Okay, say this again with me with some chutzpah, okay? I love, I love my, community my community because God loves, loves my community. That has been what we have been trying to capture in just a simple sentence of this series is that we want to have a heart like God has for our community. And so we want to love our communities like God loves our communities. And so we're here in week three of I Heart My Community trying to get a chance just to talk about what it means to live as a people of faith in the midst of a world that is broken and sometimes uh, destroyed in many ways, waiting to be restored and rebuilt and put back together with the goodness of God. If you've been following us along uh, in this series, a couple things we've talked about. We've been in the book of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is a cupbearer. He's a right-hand person to the king, and he has just gotten news uh, from a brother of his that uh, the city of Jerusalem is in ruins. And the reason that is important is because the city of Jerusalem was a testimony to the health of the people of Jerusalem and the relationship they had with God. And so healthy city, healthy relationship between them and God. Broken city represented broken people and broken God. And we know that God's not broken. But the truth of the matter is, as we began to unpack this, this was not new news for Nehemiah. Jerusalem had been destroyed for well over 150 years. And so what we're capturing, perhaps, is Nehemiah's first broken-hearted moment where he recognizes the role that he has and who he is and an opportunity to go make a difference in the city of Jerusalem. Chapter 2 begins with his face being very downcast. And if you were here last week, did we not hear an incredible message from uh, Eric Friedman? I mean, just phenomenal in a first-person testimony of Nehemiah inviting us all to join him and go rebuild the walls in the city of Jerusalem. But what happens in that context is we find out that Nehemiah is so overwhelmed that the king obviously sees that he is brokenhearted. And in his brokenheartedness, he asks what's going on and then ultimately offers his resources and an opportunity to send Nehemiah back to his city and to help rebuild and restore that community. But once that mission gets sent out, we begin to hear about a couple of adversaries that begin to step up, uh, Sanballat and Tobiah. And there begins to be this great aggravation and frustration against the people of Israel, the, the Jewish people, that they, they are now beginning to step back into what should be something that's celebrated, something that should be uh, historic for them. But for the people who lived outside of Jerusalem and were not a part of that community, they had taken advantage of the city of Jerusalem and its, its insecurity. And so things were about to change for all the people. Jerusalem was about to be restored and have something great happen for it. And people who had been adversaries were begin to put back out and begin to put at a distance. Many of you have been following along with us through Facebook. We've been doing this uh, devotional series on Facebook. Maybe you grabbed one of the bookmarks because you haven't. There's one in front of you and the chair in front of you. 
But uh, about Wednesday this week, uh, Roland Nightingale was doing his um, devotional, and I, and I just had to share what he actually said in the midst of his devotion. He says this, when God gives us a mission, we should expect opposition. And that was so timely for us. So it's so real to us to think about that truth that oftentimes when we are beginning to live out our life for God, when we're beginning to live change in the community that we're a part of, whether it's, whether it's at home with our kids or our marriage, whether it's at work or at play, wherever it may be, when things begin to shift and to change, even though it may be a great thing, that which is around us often begins to push back because in essence, they have to change too. And so some of you guys, you know, you've been journeying with us a little bit this week. And uh, you may have seen a little bit of the news that's been about us. And I just have to remind you, we write out the text and the direction that we're going to go for our series a year in advance, okay? So we've already kind of set a general course for where we want to go in 2019. And we chose this series and we chose this chapter for this week. And the topic is this, how to face adversity. Does that ring? You understand why that's funny for us? Yeah. I mean, because there's a lot of things that could happen when the world doesn't go the way that you think it should. And there's a lot of things that can go your way or go against you. And how you handle that can speak strongly to the relationship that you do or do not have with God. And so in the midst of our message in Nehemiah chapter 4, Nehemiah has actually just left in chapter 2. In chapter 3, he has taken a whole group of people back to Jerusalem to begin to rally the troops to begin to figure out what needs to happen as far as construction, and they have begun the process of rebuilding Jerusalem. And in that process, adversity begins to show up. Adversity begins to show up outside of them through two people, Sanballat and his friends. Here's what it says in Nehemiah chapter 4, if you want to follow along with us today, starting in verse 1. When Sanballat heard the re of the, that they were rebuilding the wall, he became very angry and greatly incensed, and he ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they are building, even a fox climbing on it, would break down their walls of stone. Now, this is, this is the first real conflict we see going head to head. We might want to call it a rap battle. They have stepped to the plate. They have called them out. And uh, this is a great chance for Nehemiah to spit back some mad rhymes. But what's about to happen is there's this confrontation that's playing out. And so what happens as we see this happening is Sanballat literally begins to ridicule them, to mock them, to straight up just talk smack at them, about them, and who they are. But he asks three questions of Will. The first question of Will he asks is this, will they restore the wall? And he confronts their goal of securing the city. Then he asks, will they offer sacrifices? And he mocks their faith as they secure their legacy. Will they finish in the day or the day? 
He challenges their perseverance as they secure their identity as a people and before God. And then with the cherry on top, he just kind of asks this question of reality. I mean, can they really even rebuild what they've got going on with the rubble that's around them? And then Tobiah begins to add something. And to me, Tobiah is kind of like, he's like the little guy next to the big guy. You know, you got this bully and then you got Tobiah. And so Tobiah is kind of, you know, saying, yeah, boss, get him, boss. Come on, boss. I mean, he's kind of cheering him on in the midst of this. And then Tobiah just decides to jump in and he just says, yeah, like a fox climbing on a wall is going to knock it down. And everybody's laughing. Everybody's having a great time at the expense of Nehemiah and what he has begun to step out into. Nehemiah faces outside adversity. He hears accusations from his adversaries. Friends, can I tell you something? That when we step out, we should expect adversity beyond us. When we step out, whether it be in faith or in courage or mission from God, we should expect adversity beyond us. Because it's going to change the world that we're a part of, not just ourselves. And what do we see when adversity begins to show up in this passage? We see two things. Accusation versus assurance. Accusation versus assurance. What do I mean when I say the word accusation? Well, accusation is seen as doubts or criticism expressed in words. Meaning the way people think or feel or what they're kind of gathering, they're just spewing it at you. But assurance is our trust or our faith expressed in action. It's our trust or our faith expressed in action. And we see this pattern begin to play out through the first four chapters. We begin to see this rhythm of Nehemiah. When things come at him, he begins to turn back to God. When things come at him, he turns back to God. That's where he goes for his source, for his help. Here's what he says. Listen to this. He says this in verse 4. Hear us, O God, this is his prayer. Hear hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. For they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half of its height. For the people worked with all of their heart. Nehemiah returns back to God. He's admitting in front of God, and before he's admitted his own sin, his own wrongdoing. But now it's become to the point that it is now a fight. And Nehemiah, with all of his trust and his assurance that God has called him to it, he just says, God, we're just going to ask you here. We need you to fight for us. We need you to take on our cause for us. And God, to the point that, you know, we're not, we're, we're, we're asking you to take all, all that they're throwing at us and put it back on them. Everything that they're shoving at us, put it back on them. And God, please don't forgive them. He knows who God is. He knows the character of God. But he says, please, please don't, don't blot out their sins, God. Let them have it. There are times that we go through adversity, isn't it, people? Whether it be at work or at home, whether it be for our friends or our neighbors, whether it be the conflict uh, with our children or with our spouse. 
And oftentimes when we get in adversity, what we do, those, that stuff beyond us begins to permeate. It begins to break through that, that hard outer shell that we seem to keep up so well in front of each other. But adversity begins to grow in the midst of Nehemiah's presence. It doesn't stop with this prayer. It just ratchets up. And as adversity begins to grow, the rebuilding of the wall continues. But it, it only entices his adversaries even more. And things begin to stir up and rumble outside of Jerusalem. And it begins to come inside. Look what it says in verse 10. Meanwhile... The people of Judah said, the strength of the laborers are giving out. There's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. As our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them uh, came and told us 10 times over, Wherever you turn, wherever you turn, they will attack us. You know, when Nehemiah faces adversity from outsiders, we expect that, don't we? We expect neighboring communities and countries to, to, to stand up, push against, to try and keep their advancements going forward. But when Nehemiah begins to experience adversity within... It tends to surprise us. I would describe it as kind of internal adversity. Internal adversity when our, our energy, our morale, and our confidence impacts our ability to live out this mission before us. But isn't that what happens? We take the first punch, we take the first hit, and we expect adversity from outside of us. But then it begins to get through the cracks. We begin to hear it. Think about it. it. It begins to pierce our hearts. And the things that are getting said and the scenarios that are playing out and the circumstances that are in front of us can seem overwhelming, daunting, and improbable. And so it reminds us that when we step out, we should expect continued adversity even within ourselves or within us. We live in a world that is more about fake it till you make it. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Get it done, whatever it takes. Put one foot in front of the other, right? You know what happens? Oftentimes, we wear ourselves out. We are not created just to man up and push through. We were created to depend solely on God. We were created to find our strength, to find our hope, to find our purpose in God and God alone. And Nehemiah gets this. No matter whether the adversity is coming from beyond him or within him, we realize that ultimately our hope is secured and found in God alone. So look what Nehemiah says as he continues on. Therefore, I stationed people. Uh, people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with swords, spears, and bows. After I looked uh, over, I, I stood up and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember 
Remember the Lord who is great, the Lord who is awesome, and fight for your families, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, your wives, and your homes. This kind of feels like a Braveheart moment, doesn't it? Almost makes most of us want to put on war paint, put on kilts, and run out and take on the world, right? Maybe not. I'm sorry. Maybe that was too far, but you begin to see what's happening here. Nehemiah is rallying the troops. This is not just for the common folk, but for those in power as well. We are all in this together, and we must all remember that it is God who fights our battle, God who gives us our mission, and God is who we live for. And so what gets said is this, adversity. Adversity ignites accusations from the outside and within. We cannot change that. But we also need to realize that adversity also inspires our assurance in God and one another. Let me say that again. Adversity also inspires our assurance in God and one another. When adversity shows up, when accusations begin to fly, we begin to have a real choice on our hands who we want to be, and how we want to live. And Nehemiah draws a line in the sand, and he just says in verse 13, he calls people to regroup. Every person, every family, every worker, every leader, take their place on the wall and be ready. Nehemiah calls the people to remember, it is and it always has been and it always will be about God. But then he says, fight. Fight like this matters for eternity. For your kids, for your spouses, for your neighbors. And that that fuels me. Does that fuel you? I mean, what would it look like to be the kind of church, to be the kind of people that felt so empowered by God that whatever was going to come our direction, whatever was going to come at us, that we knew that God was with us, God was for us, God was fighting our battles, but we are in a place, we are in a time, we are in a moment that if we would take our place, stand our ground, and fight like it mattered for eternity, we might change the tide of what's happening in our community, in marriages, in adoption, in poverty, we might be the people of God. So here's this one point that we want to drive all of this to. I think this is what chapter 4 is trying to press into every one of our hearts. And it's this truth. Adversity will refine or redirect our commitment. Adversity will either refine, strengthen it, pull it together make it stronger, or it'll redirect us away. And that's true about our commitment to God. That's true about our commitment through the local church. That's true about our marriages. That's true about parenting. It's true about how we work in our work environment. It's just true. And when adversity comes... What often happens in our world is we either will pull closer to God or we push him away, right? Well, I just got to work harder. I got to work faster. I got to work smarter, right? And it's not that we don't believe in God, but it's all about us. It's all about our fight. It's all about our journey. And Nehemiah says, no, no, no. God is already fighting. 
God is already for us. Let's join God. So let me ask you a couple questions today. Let me ask you a couple questions as we face adversity. Here's the first question I want to ask you. Is, is our confidence or assurance in the approval of others or in the approval of God? See, Nehemiah heard the voices not only outside or beyond him, but he heard voices inside, people that he had journeyed with, people who he invited back, people who he was related to, people who he shared the same faith with. And the voices that were coming in began to question and challenge and confront and criticize and ridicule. But Nehemiah decided that he would hold on to his assurance that what God had done and who God is would be who God would be and what God would do even in their time. And so the question is simple. Is your assurance... Is your confidence in the approval of others or is it in God? The second question is this. Are we building a faith of pragmatism or of perseverance? Pragmatism. And what we're talking about is a pragmatic faith, right? One that works for me. Many times I'll, I'll talk to people who are going through adversity and they're shocked that they're in a hard time or in a struggle. And there's this theology out there that people think, well, it, I gave my life to Christ. I'm following after Jesus. Isn't it supposed to be smooth? Isn't it supposed to be easy? And then I, I often point them back to Jesus and I say, well, Jesus, being God, who did not sin, suffered more than we all have. See, just because we're obedient... And just because we follow after God doesn't mean life gets to work for us. There are going to be times when your life goes off script. There are going to be times that things come your way, happen to you, you experience that are not what you would have asked for. But that's because God wants to build in you a persevering faith. God wants to build a faith in you that will last God wants to build into you a faith that is rooted in Jesus and not yourself. In Jesus, not our success. In Jesus, not our wealth. In Jesus, not our popularity. In Jesus. So that when adversity comes, we might be refined into Christ's character. So when we face adversity, we would grow in trust and the assurance that God is with us and God is for us. Jesus, who endured the cross for us, through his death provided the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. Do you know how he speaks of adversity? John wrote this about Jesus, quotes him in his book, uh, in one of the Gospels. He says it this way. I've told you the truth. I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble or adversity, however you want to say that, but take heart, take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus looks at adversity, Jesus looks at our adversity, and he embraces it because he's rooted. He's rooted in God. He is God. 
Jesus is saying, life is hard, but don't quit. Find peace in me because I am the one who's overcome the world. Not your wallet, not your workplace, not your family, nothing. I have overcome the world. Imagine if we were the kind of church that did not live for the approval of others or the popularity of the moment, but we lived as a persevering faith that was growing and flourishing, that in the midst of adversity, we found strength and momentum and we rallied together because of our faith and our hope and our trust in who God is. What might God be able to rebuild? What might God be able to restore in our lives, in our city, in our communities, in our neighborhood? Perhaps as a church, we might be able to fully bless the world that's around us. That when they face adversity, when they face hardship, we could be a beacon of hope, light in the darkness, to be a blessing to the world around us. Now, what do I, what do I mean by bless? I mean, a lot of people throw that word around, and, and we even use it pretty regularly around here. But for us, the word bless is really a strategic acronym that we like to lay out. It's a strategy by which we try and remember how we want to approach relationships, how we want to approach our neighbors, how we want to approach our community. We want to be a blessing. And we're going to unpack this even more and more throughout our community groups to talk about how we are advancing the blessing of God in our world and our community. But when we talk about bless, we're talking about the acronym we've used a few months ago. It's this, that we would be the kind of people that would begin in prayer. We would listen to others. We would eat. We would, we would share meals with people and community around us. We would serve the world that we're a part of so that ultimately we could share the story of what God is doing in our world. When adversity, be, when adversity comes, blessings are needed. When adversity shows up, blessings tend to mean even more to those who are experiencing it. Two ways that our church is making a, a significant difference right now is one through our community groups. Maybe your community group has had a chance to be a part of these ICM baskets. We are putting together baskets that some were filled with cleaning supplies, some were filled with household goods, some were filled with kitchen goods. But about 15 to 20 of these totes have been gathered together. Maybe you've seen them coming in over the last couple weekends, but community groups have been invited to be the first front line of ministry to ICM, Illini Christian Ministries, to help families that are in need transition with some security. That when they step out of their hardship, that they might know the local church, the people of God are already in position and are prepared to help them move forward. Uh, the other way that we experience being a blessing that Daniel talked about is that we're gonna host this trunk or treat. Trunk or Treat is going to be an event at uh, Salt and Light in Urbana. Now, we've invited many of you, or all of us, to say, hey, would you come and, and would you take the back end of your vehicle, the trunk of your vehicle, decorate it in a holiday sense for Halloween, and then would you help as friends begin to give out candy from, the, uh, from uh, your vehicle? Now, there's going to be several things going on the campus of Salt and Light in Urbana, okay? We're not just handing out candy, but candy is the big draw. I mean, it's Halloween, right? And so we have asked for 100 vehicles, and we've raised uh, about 37 to 40 vehicles committed to be at this event. We've asked to raise up 100 vehicles. Now, by our projections and understanding, we are inviting the local elementary schools in that area. There are three of them. 
we anticipate that as word gets out, as information is being shared, that well over a thousand children plus adults will come on that campus. Okay? And so we've asked every vehicle to have somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,500 pieces of candy. So if you do 100 cars, 1,500 pieces of candy, we're asking for 150,000 pieces of candy or trinkets. Now, some of the people in our community group, our community group chose, uh, we're actually making three cars to be able to do that. And we're, there's no way we're going to be able to provide almost 5,000 pieces of candy, but we've partnered together. We've gotten on uh, uh, Oriental Trader and bought a lot of trinkets that we're going to give out. We found some easy ways to begin to put some things together. But imagine this. Imagine if a thousand children, most of which have no connection to our church at all, or maybe any church at all. Statistics say that over 80% of people in our county have no relationship with God. If that's true, you're talking about out of the 1,000 children that 800 of them have no church home. Does that hit anybody? Does that aggravate you? And so what we're doing is we are throwing a party for salt and light. We already had a party. We called it Fall Family Festival, right? Or Fall Family Fair, excuse me. I got to get the name right. And we had 1,000 people, and we had a lot of our community here. But this is our chance to go serve. And so there are going to be some games. There are going to be some things that happen. But this will be our chance to take our place on the wall. And we don't have to show up with swords. We got to show up with candy. And we have a chance to let people know that this is who God is. This is what God does. And when adversity comes our direction, our hope, our trust, our faith is in Jesus and Jesus alone. We want you to be a blessing with that. Now, some of you are saying, well, I'm busy already. I can't commit to that. I've got other plans. I want to encourage you this. When you do your grocery shopping today or tomorrow or whatever you do this week and into next week, would you just buy an extra bag of candy? And would you swing by the church and would you drop it off? Because we've already had people who have said, I can't make it. I won't be there. And what they're doing is they're saying, but I can do this. I can help out with that. And I think we are going to have an incredible party on the southeast corner of Urbana with a bunch of people who are strangers who might just become our family. That's what taking our place on the wall is about today. That's what we need to understand. And that's who we need to be as a church. Now let's move to a time of response. Now I know most of you, um, you don't read some of the articles that I read in, on a daily basis. And I read some news uh, on a regular basis about pastors. And recently there was this article that uh, part of our teaching team shared about a man named Eugene Peterson. Now most of you won't know who Eugene Peterson is, but he, he's a quiet, gentle man. He preached in a church about four or 500 people for the last 40 years. So he's not necessarily, you know, packing out some mega church, but he's had an incredible influence on the world that we're a part of. He wrote a book one time called uh, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, which he described as kind of the, the Christian walk, that that's really what it's about. It's a, it's a long obedience in the same direction. And you think about that. Through hardship, through adversity, that that's a great expression that what we would do is be the people who always say yes to whatever God would call us to be 
or whoever God would call us to be. Recently, the article was about how Eugene Peterson has gone into hospice. Perhaps the most, the most famous way that many of us know Eugene Peterson is because he wrote a paraphrase of scripture called The Message. They call it kind of the every, every man's, every day's language Bible. And what he's gone through is the entire Bible, just putting it in common language that we all might know it. The article says that he's been checked into hospice and his son began to sit down and ask him a few questions. He says, Dad, first and foremost, I need you to know that this is going to be permanent. This hospice is where you'll be. And then he says, Dad, I also need you to know that you are stepping into your final days or final months. And he asks him this question. How do you think about that? And the article basically says that he looks at his son and he smiles and says, I think that's all right. And that, that warms me. Because someone who learns to live a life of obedience in the same direction after God has nothing to fear in his death. Matter of fact, he might, he might be thinking about John and those words about taking heart, being at peace, because Christ has overcome the world. We just have one simple request of us all today, and it's this. When we think about Eugene Peterson and we think about the life that we have, are we at peace? And so we would ask everybody to, to just think about this. Is your life rooted in a relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, we can take this two ways. There are some people in this room that you've been a part of this church, you've come in and listened, you've, you've been a part of the things, you, you've done the songs, maybe you've joined a group, but you've never surrendered your life to Christ. And so when we ask, do you have a relationship with Christ, today's a question of, do you need to accept Jesus? Do you need to surrender yourself back to Christ? But it's also for those of us who have lived a relationship with Jesus. Because many of us sometimes will say things like, I believe in God. But we made a one-time decision, put our trust in the middle, but we kind of moved on. And what I love about the peace that comes from Eugene Peterson is that he is very much rooted in his relationship with Jesus. He is not afraid. He is not uncomfortable. He's all right with this. God, it's, guys, it's no good for us to say that we believe in Jesus but be rooted in our job. It's no good for us to say we believe in Jesus and be rooted in our wallet. It's no good to even say we love Jesus and be rooted on our spouse or our children. What Nehemiah's life is saying is, we should be rooted in God. In God. And so maybe today there is this burning inside of your heart where you know adversity has come and you've redirected to your wallet. You've redirected to your work. You've redirected to your kids. You've redirected to your spouse. 
And I want you to know that God's saying, no. If you want to learn how to face adversity, come here. Guys, I'm going to pray for us. And then I'll lead us in our time of response. But let's pray. God, we know fully that our lives are built in you and on you. And so, God, as we think about our lives today, have we surrendered them to you? Is today the day that we say, God, we, we give you all that we are? For those of us that have given our lives to you, maybe, maybe we've stood up and maybe, maybe we've been baptized, maybe we've even gotten a group. God, today we go, you know what, God, we've redirected our energies, our focus. God, forgive us. God, root me in you. So God, today, if you, would, if you would bend our knees and lower our heads, may we reflect on your forgiveness, your grace, your goodness, and your love. And would you extend our hands that we might be the servants, that we might be the agents of grace and change in the world that we're a part of. And may we trust you more than we trust ourselves or our success or our fame. God, may it be in you and you alone. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask each and every one of you to go ahead and stand to your feet, if you would. And as you know, this time of response, the band is going to play and music is going to be led and we're going to sing and we're going to celebrate and we're going to speak about our lives and our trust back to God. And we will have these benches up front for those of us maybe that need to pause and pray to God, to accept Christ, to surrender where we are, to be in obedience. Many of us will go to these tables. There are six of them around the room and we will go to the front and to the sides and to the back to stop and eat the bread and drink the juice. That is his body and his blood. It's the reminder that it was Jesus' death, his burial and his resurrection that gives us life. He's fought our battle for us. He has sustained us for the journey. May we join him on the wall to be the kind of people in the church that bring restoration and hope to the communities that we're part of. And then we'll be challenged to give of our, ourselves, whether we want to write on our connection card a, a commitment or a decision or a prayer request and put those in the, in the give boxes, or whether it be to give of our finances through the give boxes or the give app. All of us, all of us are called to take our place along the wall, not in fear, not in the visual of the broken rubble around us, but the assurance and the trust that Christ has already overcome. The battle is won, and we just need to trust and obey. Let's sing.